This new year, I found myself thinking about faith and range anxiety. I don't know if you all know what range anxiety is. I, I never thought much about that expression or even knew that it was a thing before looking into buying an electric car a few years ago. That was the first time that the expression range anxiety came into my vocabulary. So the big question with, with an electric car is range, right? Meaning how far can you drive it before you need to charge? And it's a big question because chargers aren't quite as widely available as gas stations, right? Gas stations all over the place, chargers, not so much. And it's a big question because also chargers take much longer than filling a tank. So a stop for charging will take a lot more time. So range anxiety actually became a term in the industry and in the popular vocabulary for the specific anxiety of not being able to get where you want to get before having to stop for charging. Or, even in the worst case scenario, not reaching a charger in time before your battery runs out and you're stuck on the road. So you get the picture, right? Now, electric cars have gotten much better in terms of range, but we still have our car from a few years back. So what happens is that whenever we're going to travel somewhere that is not inside Oslo, I find myself having to consider if we can manage with our car or if we need to rent or borrow a car with a longer range. Now, what does all of that have to do with faith? Well, I realize that New Year's gives me a kind of a spiritual rage anxiety. A kind of a spiritual range anxiety. As I invariably find myself considering the year that has passed and projecting fears, hopes, and plans towards the year that comes, sort of mapping out the trip ahead, I wonder if I can make it if I can make it through another long, rough year on the road? Does my faith have that kind of range? And I often feel like I'm starting off on a low battery and wishing that I could just somehow, somehow get hold of a faith with more range. If I could just get a new one that could take me longer because, but it turns out that it's not that easy to find that kind of thing on eBay or on Finn, not in all, right, in Norway. And it makes it harder that the destination is sort of a moving target. Where exactly are we hoping to get? What exactly do we think? Do we really think that this is the year in which everything will change? In which we will arrive somewhere? In which we can finally rest? Spiritual range anxiety. A profound desire and longing to keep going mixed with the feeling that we might not have enough steam to get there. 
or with the feeling that the target moves quicker than my faith manages to keep up. And the fear that we might end up sitting by the roadside, singing songs of lamentation. As I ponder all of this and thought about it, I found myself thinking about someone. I found myself thinking about Simeon. Again, again about Simeon. And I say again because I talked about Simeon last January. January 2021. And I talked about him in pretty much the same way that I want to talk about him today. But I found that I needed to talk about Simeon again. Because talking about Simeon keeps us moving forward in the Gospel of Luke, which is actually something that we will keep on doing throughout this spring semester in OIC, spend time with the Gospel of Luke. And talking about Simeon also helps us reflect on the aftermath of Christmas. We just celebrated Christmas, and what now? What now? And finally, because coming back to Simeon feels to me like one of those repetitions that doesn't bring sort of boredom, but brings hope and movement. Some of those necessary rhythms of life, like putting a feet in front of the other, like sleeping every evening and eating breakfast every morning. And this is what St. Luke tells us about Simeon. In chapter 2 of the Gospel according to Luke from verse 22. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon. In my imagination, uh, Simeon is an old man. 
Scriptures doesn't really tell us that, but it does convey a sense of long waiting, right, in the way that it describes Simeon. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that is to say he was waiting for God's big redemptive move. And within his cultural religious setting, that's how he understood it. The redemption, the consolation of Israel. God's big redemptive move. And Simeon knew by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the expected Messiah, the anointed of the Lord who would be a key person in this big redemptive endeavor of God. And then when he meets Jesus, Simeon basically says, now I'm ready to die. So you can imagine why I picture him as an elderly gentleman. His whole life waiting for this. So here's someone who had been long waiting for the big change. The year in which it happens. The big, the time when you arrive, right? The big redemptive act that would transform the world. The destination of history. And his waiting, his hope is not merely his own. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. It is the waiting of a whole people throughout generations and centuries. And now finally it happens. Jesus comes. Simeon takes the baby, the baby Jesus in his arms and he celebrates. My eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. But here's what's interesting. Technically, nothing really happens. Nothing happens. I think part of the challenge might be that we're reading the story today and we know the whole story of Jesus that comes after. We know this child grew up to be the man that he was, we know of his crucifixion and of his resurrection. We know of his ascension. We know of his presence through the Spirit today. Simeon knows none of that. He does not know the future of this child. And on the other hand, what we maybe aren't quite aware of, because most of us are not familiar with the Jewish costumes of the time, well, we don't really understand just how everyday and mundane this situation that we're reading about is. Simeon knows. What I mean by this is that there's nothing peculiar, there's nothing unusual, there's nothing odd about Joseph and Mary going to the temple with their young baby. There's nothing weird about that. That's what people did. The Jewish laws of purity required that after a certain number of days after the birth, both mother and child went to the temple to offer sacrifices in order to be made ceremonially clean. And in the case of the first child, also to dedicate him to the Lord. This is something everybody did, right? So the sac and the sacrifice that Joseph and Mary bring, which is a pair of doves, and two young pigeons, that was the poor people's version of the sacrifice. 
So that's what you would give if you couldn't afford a lamb. The law required a lamb and also posted that if you couldn't afford one, this is what you do. This is what you give if you can't afford a lamb. So, and there's also no reason to believe that at this point, anyone in Jerusalem had heard anything about Jesus. He wasn't even born, he was born in Bethlehem. So as far as everyone in the temple that day is concerned, Joseph and Mary are just some random poor couple bringing their young baby to the temple for the customary rites of the eighth day. It's an extremely mundane and everyday sort of situation. But Simeon is also there. And on some whisper of the spirit that moves him to be there, he is in the temple courts. And for anyone who, any passerby, anyone looking in on the situation, it is Simeon, not Jesus, who is the odd person here. He was the unusual thing in the temple that day. Because this old man just swoops on this family and takes the baby in his arms and starts praising God. And starts saying the salvation of the sovereign Lord has come, a light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel. And people look around excitedly for a while, is something going to happen? And then go, okay. <laughs> okay. And move on with life. Nothing happens. There's no angel singing. There's no flash of lightning. Simeon returns baby Jesus to Mary. He says some weird stuff to them. And that's it. That's all that happens. There's this old prophetess in the temple, a widow called Anna. She picks up on the story and she starts spreading it around. But that's pretty much it. Everybody goes on with their life. People in the temple go on with their sacrifices. Joseph and Mary go back to Galilee or go to Egypt. Simeon eventually dies. And what changed? What changed? Israel's hope and expectation for deliverance and redemption was a strong desire and an anxious waiting. It had roots in a formative story of deliverance that involved mighty acts on the part of God. So what just happened? Did anything even happen? But Simeon, I believe, either by the wisdom of age or by some revelation of the Spirit or I would like to think a combination of both, I don't think Simeon is expecting a cataclysmic sort of time-condensed event kind of arrival thing doesn't give any signs that he's frustrated by that encounter. He's joyful over it, and it's enough for him. If the fact that salvation doesn't happen on a flash surprises anyone, it does not surprise Simeon. His words to Mary, which are oddly enough given in a context of blessing, are quite somber. This child is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul too. 
These words are not words announcing that everything is about to get better. If anything, Simeon is spelling trouble, an even harder time ahead. And for Mary specifically, he's warning her of a really rough road ahead. I wonder how many times Mary felt as though a sword had pierced her soul and remembered Simeon. How many times when her 12-year-old son Jesus just disappeared for three days because he sneaked away in the temple? Think of yourself as a parent and your kid's gone missing. When the same Jesus as a grown man was suddenly so consumed by his ministry that he wouldn't even eat properly. And she and her other children didn't seem to manage to bring him to his senses. When after all of this, this son of hers was finally nailed to a cross as a criminal. Or when after the unsurmountable and unexpected joy of resurrection, he again left her and ascended to God the Father. How many times did Mary feel like a sword pierced her soul? Now Mary's story is of course her own. But the experience in the life of faith that things are finally making sense, finally changing for the better, only to again be thrown into confusion, into pain, and into waiting, that's an experience we all share. If we've been long enough in it, we've been there. That sense that now it's coming together, now we're arriving somewhere, only to turn a bend and see that the road is way steeper uphill than we had thought. It so often seems like things might be about to happen. Like this is, this is it. This is the year. This is the time. But then the big wave of time and sorrow seems to remain unchangeable and unstoppable. But somehow, in the middle of all of this, and giving this kind of word to Mary, Simeon is ready to go in peace. To go in peace. For his eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Even if all that he has seen is a baby. A little baby in his mother's arms. But it's not just a baby, is it? We know the story. This is not just a baby. This was Emmanuel, God with us. And Simeon had eyes to see. 
And this is what I think changes everything. Because of all the power of the Holy Spirit of which we read in scriptures, all the power of God that we might fancy in our imagination, all the gifts of the Spirit that we might aspire for, this, I believe, is the dearest gift. The gift that we should most cherish and desire. The eyes to see and recognize that God is with us. That God is with us in the most unusual places, in the most unlikely of faces, in the darkest of times, to recognize that God is with us. And if I try to discern the wisdom and the peace of, of Simeon, I think it is this. That he understands that less than where and when we will be, salvation is about where God is now. Less than about where, we, where and when we will be, salvation is about where God is now. For where God is Salvation is happening. Where Christ is present, salvation is happening and redemption is happening. Confronted with the towering realities of evil within and without and around us, we, we want to cry for a stop. But rather than smash it all, God walks into it and has patience and enough love and enough grace for the slow work of revealing hearts and transforming us. A faith that eagerly expects to see this destination kind of redemption might lose heart because it delays. But a faith that yearns for the presence of the Redeemer as we go will walk through the night, through the valley of the shadow of death with him and will learn to walk as a child of the light. And this doesn't mean that we don't earn and that we don't await redemption of all things. We do. Dear Lord, we do. As I look at the news, I cry for it. But if our faith doesn't nurture the presence of Christ, the, a, a kind of a sensibility to incarnation today, If our faith doesn't nurture that, we might very well miss out on precisely the reality of faith that keeps us going and that takes us there to redemption. And that sensibility 
to God with us, to incarnation today, to the presence of God in the middle of it all. That is what I earn for. This quality and taste of faith. A faith that has the patience and the focus for the small. And that has the endurance and the humbleness for the stuff that life is actually made of. Not for the stuff that we wish it was made of. Not for the paved road that we wish we were running on. But for the rocky, cracked valleys we are actually walking through. That is the faith that I yearn for in my own life. And that is what I yearn for in the life of this community of faith, of OIC. Our road isn't even that long. But we, we know some bumps. <laughs> We've seen some valleys. For those of us who have been here a bit longer, we know that we've crawled our way out of some deep ones. And what keeps us going? What keeps us going? In days when this church is full and overflowing with life and people and children, and in days in which there's a few of us trying to figure out how to keep going. What keeps us going? If we lose the sensibility to the Christ with us, in our meeting each other around the coffee tables, in our figuring out how to make things work in the technical team, in our figuring out how to best nurture the spirituality of our children and let them know that they belong, how to best be there for each other and what's going on in our lives, in our study places, in our workplaces, in our health, in our missing home, in our trying to figure out how to live in this world. If we miss out on all of that, we won't go far. Not in what really matters. But if we nurture, if we nurture the sensibility to the presence of God and of Christ in the small, whether that small feels like a loose floating thing or a part of a gigantic big thing, that's where life is, that's where God is. Then we will nurture a faith that goes with us, whether OIC is or isn't. <laughs> of all the power of the Holy Spirit, of which we read in Scripture, 
of all the power of God that we might fancy in our imaginations. This is the dearest gift. This is the gift I ask for us and for myself in 2022. The eyes to see that God is with us where we are. That he did come and that he is and that that will not change. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards each and every one of you as you go, every day, at every time. And where you are, may he bring you peace. So go in the name and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord and serve the world and serve each other joyfully.